Turn to Matthew 7, briefly to verse 13, and then mainly to Numbers chapter 21. Matthew 7 and Numbers chapter 21. Now, the title of our message this evening, and we might continue this depending on how we do, is Giants at the Gateway. Giants at the Gateway. Now, the gateway that I am referring to is an entrance to something. And giants are the products, the working of the enemy to keep you from going through that gate. If they're very successful at it, they do that well. But it does not have to apply to us, but we should be warned about it. Now, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, enter in by the straight gate or by the narrow gate. And he ends that verse by saying that the way that leads to destruction is broad. And you see there where it says many who go in by it. Does the Bible say something like that? So the picture you have is that Jesus says the way that leads to life is like a narrow way. It's not the way people want. It's not even what people expect. But the way that he gives us is a narrow way. And at the end of that way, there is a gate. And the gate would lead into eternity. So the way is the time you're in this life, the preparation for getting on the other side, and realizing that there is a gate you have to go through. Now, we'll refer to that gate again in a moment. The second verse, Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged by the way. And verse 5 says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, and they brought this complaint against God and against Moses. Why did you bring us into this place, they said. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Did you bring us out to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread or manna. And the Bible said they spoke against God. Now, the reason the Bible says they spoke against God and talked this way and acted this way is because they were discouraged. The Bible says they were much discouraged. And this message tonight is about that discouragement because there's a lot of people that are discouraged. A lot of people are discouraged because of fear, the fear of the uncertainty of whether this will work the uncertainty of whether all the things we've heard for so long really will work. For your mind tells you, your feelings tell you, your natural flesh tells you, well, you know, it sounds good and, and it certainly is refreshing to hear it, but, you know, let's face it, eventually in your life, everything begins to break down and you wind up like this. It's just, it's just the way it happens. I mean, a lot of people think like that. And so when they hear these promises it seemed like they can't grasp it anymore as a reality, and it's kind of like, I'd like to have that, but I don't, I don't know if that'll work. And I'm afraid to 
act like it's going to work because if it doesn't and I get myself in a bind I can't get out of, then I'm going to lose big. And people do get discouraged. And those are the two giants. And I do believe, I do believe there is enough power in the might of discouragement and fear to keep us from making it through that gate. I do. It's easy to be dis discouraged. It's easy to be forlorn or have a, a dismay or a despair or something like that to happen in your life. And it's easy when things aren't going well for you to start looking for some reason why it's not working. And sometimes you feel like you've been misled. I'm not saying you do, but a lot of people do. What we've heard was really too good and it was too easy and it was too something. And yet, you know, some of the people that preached these very things about healing and all, you know, they died sick. They didn't do well at the end. What makes you think you will? How do you know it's going to work for you? Let's face it. A lot of people are asking those kind of questions. And it's not as easy to grasp the word insurity as it used to be. People seem to be moved more by what they see in other people than they do in what God said. If God said, I'm the Lord that heals thee, a lot of folks say, well, I, that would be nice if it was true, but look at the number of God's people that aren't healed. Therefore, there's a bit of despondency. There's a little bit of discouragement or a whole lot of discouragement. You take these people in our picture here. These people became grieved and weary with their journey. They were in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. They were in a state of being lost. They were bound to an overlord, which Egypt was a type of the enemy, the devil. It's a type of the world. And they were under the gun of this system of the world. They had no rights of their own. They were slaves to their feelings, slaves to their cravings. They had no education. They didn't care as long as they got a little fish and a few melons at night. They'll make a lot of bricks. And one day God, for no reason that he explains other than because he wanted to, he chooses to take these nobodies and make them his. I mean, that wouldn't have been my first choice. But he does. He goes to people that have no God, know nothing about God except the gods in Egypt. And by signs and wonders that have never been seen since on this planet, he delivers these people from the mightiest nation in the world. And literally, as far as I'm concerned, destroyed that country. I don't think today it's ever recovered. I mean, God devastated that place to show his power and his might and warned his people in the book of Jeremiah, don't go back to that place. Don't go back there. Because he said, you're going to captivity 70 years. You're going to seek to get out of it. Don't. This is going to happen. You can't stop it. And don't go back to Egypt. Well, these people were slaves in Egypt all these years. They were in a state of being unsaved or lost to us in type. And God moved sovereignly on that place. They didn't know who he was, but he let them know what he could do. And great signs and wonders. Mighty miracles. Such might that when they were let out of there, the nations that they went to feared them because the word spread that nothing has ever been done like this before. You are helpless before the God of these Hebrews. And you know what? When they got out and they got free, they 
As the song said, they played on the sands of the other side. They rang their timbrels. There was jubilation and joy. The horse and rider was thrown into the sea. Hallelujah. And then they began the journey of what we call salvation. And they found out right away that deliverance wasn't easy. Never was easy. In fact, many people who have been brought out of Egypt never make it to the promised land. Because what God begins to reveal is what he wants from his people is just more than they can give, or they think it is. And they begin to complain. Well, I can't do that. Well, nobody can live like that. He said, well, well that's not even possible. I, and, you know, and here we are, pitch up your tent. Arise, we're going somewhere else. Just set up your tent, set up your camp. Okay, get up, let's go. We've been doing this since my children were little. Now my oldest was almost 40. 40 years we've been up and going and just routine and just going through this and all of this and hearing about the law and the sacrifices, going through all of that all the time. It's the same old, same old. And they didn't realize that God was teaching them something. They were being shown that a way to be in favor with him was being granted to them. They were shown how to relate to God and all they could do, the Bible says, they complained they complained about everything because salvation was not what they thought it was going to be. You know, we can remember a lot of people the time when you cried your heart out because of your sins. You asked God to save you. And you lasted in a church somewhere, maybe five or six years. You were expecting more. You wanted to be more of this lively something all the time. You didn't know you're going to have to read your Bible. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to ask yourself a lot of questions. You're going to have to go to the cross and crucify your flesh. And you're going to have to deal with those arid parts of your personality that God is going to have to judge if you don't. And it just seemed like, is this all we're going to do? I mean, is this it? And they couldn't see the bigger picture. Christians are like that as I speak tonight. They cried and they asked God to forgive them, and they did. But when they went to church and they began to realize how God wants to change you from the way you were and still technically are with your mind to the way he wants you to be so that you begin to think like God, do what God wants, you please him, and he's going to reward you openly. Oh, I want the reward. Hallelujah. I want to walk on the water and turn the water to wine. Yeah, amen. Let's go. But the cross, crucifying my flesh, you identifying my flesh, I didn't mind you saying you got to crucify the flesh. It bothered me when you taught on it. I don't mind quoting the Bible in some general way. I just don't make it specific. Because when you start talking about specific, then you get down to where God begins to say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? So a lot of people came out of the world. Not everybody that came out will stay away from the world. Because as I've looked from where I'm standing here for the last 30 years, I've been 45 years a Christian, I've seen multitudes go back. They came out, they looked good, it sounded good, everybody was glad. We shook the hand, hugged them, and loved them. Some lasted a year, some a month, some 10 years, some 15 years. But something comes up and they just didn't want to engage the Lord and hold on anymore. Because it's so easy to tell yourself you can't do what God said. 
It's so easy to let the devil convince you that you'll never be any different than you are. I mean, this doesn't work. I mean, look how hateful so-and-so still is. Remember that when God saved hateful, you know, hateful Hazel? Remember that? And she's still hateful. So all this preaching doesn't change anybody's life. All this preaching does make you feel better about what you are or who you are. And so salvation is a process, tedious, difficult. God's interested not in your toys, but in changing your life of taking you out of Egypt and bringing you in the wilderness where he can get Egypt out of you and to keep you from wanting to go back and longing to go back. Look in chapter 14 of Numbers. Their joy, their joy soon gave way to frustration, fear, and discouragement. Numbers 11, verse 4 and 5. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Oh, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and oh boy, the onions and the garlics. Oh, it was so good. We used to have so much freedom we could wear, go, act, do. Now, everything we want to do is wrong. Even apple pies is going to be set up one of these days is wrong. Something's wrong with that. You know, people think that way. All these rules and restrictions, nobody can live this, this way. You get discouraged. Begin to give up and back off. Chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. They were always weeping. They were discouraged and disgusted. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God we had died in this wilderness. And why has the Lord brought us to this land? To fall by the sword. That our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Now, this is an Old Testament story that actually happened. But in type, nothing's changed. God has brought a lot of people out of an ornery life. And they found they weren't willing to pay the price that God says to pay. And they wanted to go back. And they did. They missed their old buddies. They missed the old hangouts. They missed a lot of things because heaven was never tattooed on their eyelids. They, they never saw things God's way. They wanted to go back. And so they did. God didn't prevent them from going back. These things are written for a purpose. God in his power and might could prevent anybody from going back. But he doesn't. If you don't want to stay, Jesus said in John chapter 6 to those who wanted to leave, all of his followers left him. He said to them, are you going to? And they said, where would we go? You have the words of, of life. We've been following you around for three and a half years, and we never have gotten tired of hearing what you say. And that's not true today. That's not true today because people want change all the time. They got out in the desert. They wanted them a God. 
And it's amazing that they made a God. They fashioned a God out of, of all things, earrings and nose rings and stuff like that. And then they said to the people, this is your God. This is who brought us out of Egypt. Say, how could they say that? Well, it's what they wanted. It's what they wanted. So there are giants in your life tonight, in my life. They don't go away. They never give up. They're always trying to get in your life. Always trying to make a way into your life so they can get you to power down, back off, ease up. Grow weary, fate. Anything like that. Just back it away. Turn to Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. What a challenging scripture. What a thought-provoking scripture. For those of us who have escaped from Egypt, he said strive. Strive is a word for agonize. This word agonize has to do with effort, agony, difficulty, something that if you let it, it will defeat you. If you're weak mentally, your mental game will cave in all the time. I can't do this. This is too much. I'm just not built for, I'm not ready for this. But he said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Now that's the narrow gate. He said, for many I say unto you, now notice this, will seek to enter in. They'll start, they'll make an attempt at it, but what? Shall not be able. I ask you, is that possible? Well, it has to be possible because it's in red. Because <laughs> Jesus said it. Now think of it. Are you one of these? I mean, is, who in here am I talking to that's one of these? He's talking to those who are here. He said, now, the gate, the way that is ahead of you it is totally is the antithesis of the world. The world is wide and broad and plenty of room and everybody and this and that. But he said, whenever it comes to you, when it comes to you, your way, God is going to make narrow. You'll be tested the rest of your life. But it's a narrow way. Now, many will start. It's like a funnel. It starts a lot of leeway and you get going and then it comes down and it starts getting narrower and more costly, more quality decisions have to be made. The way it looks difficult now, you're feeling the pressure of it. He said, many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. You think of these other verses in the Bible that kind of go like this, like in Proverbs 24, the verse that says, if you faint, Faint, fall back. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It doesn't say if you strength in a day of adversity ever comes, if it ever comes. It says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Jeremiah 12, we've heard of this verse. You may not have known where it was, but he said, if you've run with the footman, remember that? If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how will you contend with horses? 
cheer up, Jeremiah, the worst part's coming. But if you can't handle the footmen, you'll never make it with the horses because the horses are coming. That's a deeper, more intense kind of trial and cleansing and effort. You want to put a greater effort in because God's going to make sure that as a great refiner of silver, he's going to melt you down to nothing. It isn't going to be easy. People will start looking for that broad way again, just like they wanted to go back to Egypt. But he said, if you've run with the foot, that's what God said to his people. If you're complaining about what you're going through right now, if you begin to wonder whether or not God really meant what he said, if you begin to wonder, have we been misled? I mean, are, are we getting this right or wrong? I mean, what, why is it not working for people? You start talking like that. Next thing you know, you're going to be convinced that maybe there's something else besides this and you're going to look for something else. And yet, he said, if the footmen have wearied you, how will you contend with horses? Paul said in the New Testament, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap. But he didn't put a period there. He said, in due season you shall reap if. If what? If you faint not. If you lose hope, lose sight. If you begin to wonder about this, you start backing off and giving up and you begin to faint. You're no longer that exuberant, enthusiastic, heaven bound, I'm going through no matter what person you giving way to discouraging thoughts. I don't, I'm not sure anymore if this will work. I don't know about that. Let me define discouragement from the Webster's Dictionary. I have found this that on the computer, there's lots of dictionaries. Similarly, this is a good definition that they all seem to come up with. The word discourage means to deprive of courage, hope, or confidence. Now, when the Bible says to deprive of courage, we'll give you a definition of that in just a moment. To deprive of courage and hope. Now, hope is something that in order to be what it was intended to be, you have to believe it. Hope has to do with expectation. You don't hope you get paid Friday if you got a job that always pays Friday. You don't hope you get paid. You expect to get paid. When, when you really expect something that God has promised, it's like a story I told years ago that we had a new secretary in our church, a Christian church. Cindy was her name. She was in the high school. I taught out there, so I knew who she was. I didn't have her in any classes. I went in one day to, I didn't know if she was saved or not, so I thought I'd start finding out. And so I got to talking, and just her and I, and it was easy for her to listen because there wasn't any crowd around, so she kind of opened up a little bit. And she mentioned something about faithful. How can you be so sure about all this? I said, well, it's based on who you believe. For example, I said, and I mentioned the name of the banker downtown that everybody in town knew. We had one bank and one president of one bank, and so everybody knew who Mr. Bowen was. So I said, now, if this banker came to our door, came to the door here, came to church and said, uh, Cindy so-and-so, yes, uh, I have a check here for $5,000 in your name. You get it at 5 o'clock. It's yours. Why? Because we want you to have it. Well, I didn't earn it. No, you didn't earn it. It's a gift. It's free. 
but you can't get it until five o'clock. Now, I'm going to stand outside this door with this in my pocket until five o'clock. Here's what we learn. First of all, the man speaking is a man of his word, a man who's trustworthy has to be to be in a bank like that. The check was real. It was made out. She saw her name on the check. It was hers freely. Now, you get this at five o'clock. Now, the looking forward to the anticipation of what's going to happen at five o'clock is hope. And it was a joyful hope. I said, Cindy, if you spilt ink on your new dress, tore your hose, whatever you do that would, could cause you to have an upset day, I said, would it really just tear you up? She said, no. I said, why? She said, because I know what's going to happen at five o'clock carnal thing. But anyway, she said, I know what's going to happen at five o'clock. And I said, that's the way it is with us and the Lord. We're told that this is what God has freely given to us. And in the meantime, before it is actually manifested and we have it, there's a certain way he wants us to live. And we look forward to living that way because we know what our reward is. We have a living hope, the coming of our Lord. We said the other day in Titus 2, uh, looking for the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our great expectation is that when he comes, we go. And, and it's a sure thing. It's going to happen. But you won't, that won't work for you if you don't believe it. What if she had said, what if the girl Cindy had, had said, well, I see your check. But, you know, I, nobody gives any of somebody something for nothing. So there's some kind of a gimmick here, and I don't want part of it. No, you know who I am? Yeah, I know who you are, but I, I, ain't, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, if check's got your name on, well, that, that's good. But ain't nobody going to give me a check. Who am I to give anybody to give anything to? People, I'm talking the way people, Christians think. I don't deserve that. I won't have that. He's not going to do that for me. He's not going to heal me, deliver me, or help me, or supply my needs. I mean, who am I? He wouldn't just do that. I haven't done anything to earn it. And that man at 5 o'clock at the door, I said, what if she just walked out at 5 o'clock and looked at him and said, here's your check. She said, oh, you ain't kidding me, and walked and got in the car and drove off. Was the check real? What was her problem? She didn't believe the report. He said, he showed her, she didn't believe it. And because she did not believe, she did not expect it to happen. And therefore, she was, in a sense, discouraged with all this. Well, I'd like to have it, but I'll, I'll never get it. Now, for us, hope is what we set our faith upon. Faith is the substance Substance means it's what gives reality to hope. It makes what you expect to be real. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't hear it. My physical senses cannot relate to it. But my heart can. For my heart says it shall be because God said it. And if God said it, it shall be. Therefore, with joy. I look forward to it. And you await the day that five o'clock comes. But a lot of people don't, just don't know that it'll ever work like that or that it'll ever be like that or that God really meant all that. Hope is what we have here. I don't hope you come. 
I would expect you to come tonight. Not because of some spectacular whatever, so simply because this is where God pushes where you belong. And you should come expecting God to speak to your heart in some way. And hopefully if he's got anything to add to it, we'll see a demonstration of it. Now, I'm not hoping that works. I'm coming here expecting to hear what God has to say. Now, if I believe that, he'll say something to me. He does me and I'm preaching. I mean, sometimes I have to go back there and take some notes. Woo. But this is what happens. We're not being misled. Nor are we perfect. We're all capable of flaws and failures and letdowns. We all need to be encouraged. We all have good days and bad days because we're human. And we're not fully refined yet to where we can overcome every day alike. But we will. That's what we're looking forward to. You could have this mental picture in your heart. I want to see me as God says I'm going to be. Without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. I want to believe that when Jesus comes back to this earth, and John wrote, we don't know what we're going to be like. And we don't know the details of this, but we do know this, that when he comes, we shall be like him. It's 1 John 3. And verse 3 says, And every man that has this hope in him will purify himself. Because you're looking forward to it. You're counting on it to happen. You know it's going to happen. You know he's looking for something specific when he comes. He's not looking for daydreamers and people that are backing off and slacking off, but people that are giving their heart to this. They're trying. They're putting their time in, seeking after the Lord. And they're going to be ready. This is the work of God. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And we know that he is coming. The Bible said every man that has this kind of hope or expectation of his return in him is getting ready for him. Because you don't want him to come and you're not paying attention. Didn't Jesus say something about that? If they had known what time the man was coming, they would have been ready. It's just church. You just take it for granted. And you start letting things slide. And then the next thing you know, five years later, two years later down the road, you look at your life as it currently is and you're being discouraged. You wonder how you're going to, I don't know. Everything you've been taught not to say, you start saying it. Everything you shouldn't be doing, you start doing it. And God brings us together sometime just to let us know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that God can do all, he can change all of that. But to be discouraged is to be, is to be deprived of your hope. To where instead of you expecting God to give you health, I don't know about that. You expect God to heal something difficult or to supply a big need? When you lose your hope, it's because you've lost your faith. You can still listen, but nothing has a pop to it that it used to have. Because you've changed your way of thinking. You've gotten yourself discouraged. And the one thing that suffers is not only your courage, but your hope and your confidence. You're still a good person. We're glad you're here. But your life is not the way it ought to be or the way it maybe it even once, once was. Turn to Hebrews 10, if you will. Hebrews 10. 
See, when you lose your hope, when you get discouraged, it's like me fishing. So I enjoy fishing every, every few years, but I love to get in the boat. If I got a pole, get me in a boat and have all the stuff there, good. It's just all that other stuff. It's, I can think of other things to do. I've been fishing so many times in my life on a bank beside a rock, out to Boy Scout camp in Charlestown, in a boat up in Canada. Hearing myself say, nah, I ain't going to catch anything. I never do catch fish. And then you hear something else say, well, why you got that pole and that bait in the water then? <laughs> well, uh, I think you're supposed to. If you spend $500 to go fishing, you ought to at least put a pole and get something, throw it out there in the water. And, I ain't, ain't, ain't going to catch anything. How many of you know there's no faith in that man? And he's a discouraged fisherman. And if you sit by him, he'll discourage you. They're not biting. It ain't going to work. We might as well go get some fish salmon down at McDonald's. We ain't going to happen here. Or you can go with somebody that says, uh, uh, I didn't come as far to get skunked. And they'll cast that real boy, that. I mean, keep that thing going either hand. They just keep it going. And pretty soon they, they catch one. My boy Jim, the first deer he ever killed, I, I remember... In deer season, he would go out and sit in a, in a tree line, right? Not far from the main road. He didn't know where else to go. He sat out there and up in Indiana. One of his buddies that lived up there, I ain't want to sit no dumb fence line all night. And one night I was up in uh, Brother Fryer's church. I got a phone call. And Bonnie, uh, she said, it's crazy around here. Said, Jimmy shot a deer. And said, they're out there with some book on how to <laughs> on how to dismember it and they're out there with the light shining on her trying to follow that comic book so I got Jimmy on the phone he was oh, I got him I got him then the other kids said I wish I'd have gotten the fence line see there are people who are convinced that if I do what I really think I ought to do here I'm going to get a reward for it God's going to bless me and it works like that and the day you start backing off, listen to me. The day you start backing off a little bit, you'll start backing off a whole lot. Because when you give in some, something says, well, you're going that far. I mean, well, this is not much more. Just give in a little bit more. And you look back, and your life was a 20-year circle. It took you 20 years to walk in one huge circle. But after 20 years, you came back where you started. Same frustration, same mindset. Except now you're really disappointed because God let you down. Didn't work for you. It's hard to reclaim a person like that. Nobody can be excited for you. Nobody can believe for you. I'm talking about us in this room. The way that we're given to live is a narrow and it's a difficult way. Just like coming out of Egypt was easy. God did all. They worked all the miracles and let them out. The cloud and the fire protected them. Not a soul on their foot wore out. There wasn't a feeble one amongst them because God oversaw them. And they complained and they clamored because it ain't the way I want. I want more than this. And God was upset with those, with those folks. Did you turn to Hebrews 10? What's about the 38th verse? 
Now here he talks about the challenge to live by faith. Now the just shall live by faith. That's a challenge. If it was easy and everybody could, the next part of that verse would never have been written. Wouldn't make sense. The just shall live by faith, but if any man, what? Well, why would anybody draw back from faith when you begin to read all the things that faith does? I mean, if thou canst believe all things are possible, why would anybody withdraw from that? Be it according to your faith, why would anybody withdraw from that? I mean, why, what is it about faith that people would not stay with? Well, I can tell you after all these years of what I've trusted God for, faith has never been easy. It's always a challenge. And the devil is always attacking your brain to make you wonder, you really think it's going to work? You really think this time it'll work? Do you really think so? You know, in light of things that's happened around here with a couple of my brothers here and Mike and others you don't know about and other people, the devil says, now what makes you think, especially look back, you know, Brother Freeman, now what makes you think you're going to escape any of that or all of that? You think you're superior to everybody? That's what he says. And I say, quite the contrary, I am probably the least of all saints. I know me better than they know me. No, I don't. I don't think that anybody is below me, not in this world. But I tell you what I believe. I believe that if God said it, it's true. That's all I got. Well, so-and-so said they believe. Well, that's, that's between them and God. I am not anybody's judge. There are lots of reasons why things don't work. We don't always know until later when it's too late. So I know this, that God, as far as I know, just this constant reading, listening, preaching, preparing, is this constant, constant, listen to me, attention to detail. Watch your mouth. Watch your choices. Watch who and where and what. Everything counts. Nothing is hidden from God. Not your weaknesses, not your strengths. Everything is being recorded. Nothing is being hidden. Make sure you keep yourself clean. Now, if you're not and things happen, thank God you're still alive, still breathing. Fix it. Fix it. But don't get to the place where, well, I, you know, I don't know about that. I tried that and it didn't work. Bible said, Bible said, I didn't say this. The just shall live by faith. It's not easy and most won't. Most won't. Many tried this. Most have given it up. There's a few left. And listen to me again. Let me see. I keep repeating myself, but failure doesn't mean you're done. A fall doesn't mean you're, you can't get up. A righteous man may fall, the Bible said, but God will lift him up. But we have to learn from each other, don't we? It's not my desire for condemnation or putting anybody down. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm just saying that we need answers to all these little questions, else you're going to get discouraged. 
You're going to start saying, well, I don't know about all that stuff. Know about all that stuff. God's still on his throne. Nothing has changed in his word. Not a chapter has been deleted. Not a verse has been changed. Everything tonight is the same as it was when it was first recorded. The conditions have never changed. They are still the same today. You need to say, I will not change what I believe, uh, no matter what happens to anybody, anywhere, at any time. I have got to say, let God be true and every man a liar. And that's, that's all I got. And I, by the grace of God alone, can make it, just like you. We're all in the same boat. We've got a wonderful God who doesn't lie. He watches over his word to perform it. But just like when he led the Israelites through the wilderness, he intends for you to live according to his word. 600,000 men didn't make it. 600,000 of them that were led out of that place with mighty signs and wonders did not make it to the promised land. You know why? Because they murmured and they complained and they did not believe God. They lost their hope. They wanted to go back to Egypt. The earth had to swallow some of them up. Plagues had to consumed some of them, all kinds of disasters happened to them, and they never learned. But a few of them did. Caleb, Joshua, the only two over 20 years old that made it, and all the other ones that were under 20. We are those who have God is called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are made right with God. And God says, now, if you want to live right, you've got to live by faith. You've got to live like what he said is true, whether you see it or not. You've got to live like what he promised he's going to do. Live like it. Act like it. Don't sit back and say, I don't know about that. Don't do that. Just get yourself in a room. Get to the place where the Lord God, make this word become real to me. I want to be a faithful doer of the word. Help me, Lord. I don't want to give up and be discouraged. So you start. And it's the challenge of living by faith. Now, what is Courage. Let me give you a really interesting definition of courage. And you can turn to Joshua chapter 1 while I'm giving this. Courage is an attitude, an attitude of facing and dealing with anything recognized as dangerous, difficult, or painful instead of withdrawing from it. Or instead of withdrawing from something that could be dangerous, difficult, or possibly painful or costly, instead of withdrawing from it, you deal with it. You take God at his word and know that you're not alone. He is with you. He'll help you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can do all things through Christ and you go ahead. It takes courage to do that. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. I'm sure this isn't new to you, that you know these verses. Well, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Now, Joshua, be strong. Be strong and of good courage. He says this three times in four verses. Be strong and of a good courage. 
Don't withdraw. Don't retreat. In the face of all the adversity you're going to face, stay with it. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. Your people may not be, but you got to be. That you may observe, this is what strong and courageous in, implies, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the left or to the right. Don't compromise it. Don't water it down. Don't back off. Don't seek another opinion. Just stay with it. He says, if you do, you will prosper wherever you go. The word prosper means have good success. In other words, listen to me. All the things that are given to us in his word will work. Will work. What did he say? Only be strong and very courageous. Let me read it again. I know you've read it before. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all which Moses, my servant, has commanded thee. Don't turn away from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Was this written just for Joshua? It was addressed to him. Why is it recorded? Why did God have things like this recorded, a personal conversation with Joshua concerning a whole group of people? Why was this recorded? So we can read it. Are we supposed to learn something from it? What do we learn? That God has never changed? That what he said then, he still says today? That the standard he set then, he still holds it today about a pure life and a holy life? Of course. I mean, he hasn't changed. And he said, just this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in the law. You need to be word of God inside minded. Cherish it. Read it. Think about it. He said, for then you will make your way prosperous in verse 8, and then you shall have good success. There's not a soul in this room tonight who doesn't want to have good success. There's not a person, a man, woman, or a boy and girl in this room tonight that does not want to do well spiritually. To do better than you're doing now. To have a deeper grasp and more of a, a greater love and enthusiasm for God tomorrow than you have today. Every one of you wants that. You may wonder why it's not happening. God's offered it. There's no such thing as a secret except hidden from the world, but the secret is the word of God. Put it in your heart and your mind. Meditate, ponder it, think about it day and night. Your way will have good success. God will bless what you do, what you put your hands to. He'll bless you going in and coming out. Remember Psalm 1? Stay away from a crowd of people, you know, the, the blessed the man that walketh not, setteth not, and standeth not. But his delight is in the law of God, or the word of God. And in that law, he, he meditates, ponders, thinks about it, deals with it. He reads it, and he thinks about it. He reads it, and he thinks about it. He prays what to do with it, how to make application of it. He, he delights in it. 
In his law, he doth meditate day and night. And what, happen, and what happens? He shall be. He shall be. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Its roots stick out in that cool stream and the life of that river comes in there and his leaf is always green. His fruit is always in his season and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That belongs to everybody in this room. We all should grasp a hold of that. There should be this disgust of living just below the, the level that God has for us. I want to know that every day I get up, that I am doing right, that God is on my side. I'm in his favor. I, I, I'm trying. I want to come to the meetings. I want to be refreshed. I want to refresh. I don't want to go home and wonder what is the world is wrong with a hundred people. What's wrong with a hundred? One, two, three, four, five. I don't know how many. I don't want to go home and think what's wrong with everybody. What can they hear that will do anything about their mental state if this doesn't work? I think that about myself sometimes. But I've never had a whole lot of problem having the joy of the Lord because I remember what I came out of. But I think the world loads up. It just sort of settles down on you and begins to take its toll. Go back to the book before Joshua, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 7. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, it is he that goeth before you. And he will be with you, and he will not fail you, neither forsake you. Fear not, neither be what? Well, I promise you this, Joshua. Joshua, yes, sir. You're going to look at some faces sometime that's going to wonder what tree you came out of, what rock you crawled out from under. They're going to, they're going to be belligerent. They're going to think you're some kind of a strange person. In fact, God's going to test you, Joshua, because the first test you're going to have on the other side of the Jordan is a place called Jericho. And he's going to give you instructions on how your men are going to fight at Jericho. And you're going to go tell your men what God said, and they're going to think, you reckon God said that? I mean, march around the city once a day and for seven days and then on the seventh day march around it three times and then blow the horns and, and the 12 foot thick walls will fall flat. Now you and I both know any way we grew up. That's just a little bit far-fetched. And I'm sure the people sitting around their campfire thinking, do you remember what Josh said today? You remember what he said about marching around? Have you seen the city? I snuck up and looked at it tonight. Well, there's no one. <laughs> how, how are we going to march? We're not even allowed to talk. We're supposed to march around the city, you know. Like we're in the first grade or something. We're going to march around the city. We're going to come back to camp. I can tell you this. What they didn't know about the third day, the people in Jericho were whooped. Whooped. 
Because they're trying to think, what in the world is going on? What's this mean? God works in mysterious ways. Joshua, just do what I told you. Everybody's going to think you're crazy. Not everybody's going to agree with you. They're going to flee from you, but you just do what I tell you. Be strong and have courage and don't give up and don't back off and don't withdraw. And after the seventh day, they walked around, blew the horn, the place fell down flat. And I'm sure everybody thought, wow, that must be really something. That is really something. And then there was Jehoshaphat. Remember Jehoshaphat? Here's a million soldiers. City of Louisville's coming down the interstate. They'll be here in the morning. Now, none of us need to fight. We're going to go out there and meet them. We don't need any weapons. Just bring your family, your kids, and let's all go out there and meet them. And God's going to show us his salvation. Well, would you go? Would you dress yourself up in, in your little church clothes? I hope you do have such a thing. Wouldn't be nothing wrong with that. Would you go out there? Would you go up the interstate and have your man come back? Here they come. They're coming. They're about a half a mile up the road. Boy, there's a bunch of them too. Oh, this is, would you stand there with your crowd praising the Lord? Say, I want to thank you, Jesus, for the victory. I want to praise the Lord. Woo! Would you do that? The church wouldn't today. Not today. Because you see, the people he led out there then were people who had been systematically taught for several months. And by, in fact, the centuries left the borders to be taught. And the Bible said no man would cross the borders because God guarded the country. We've lost that. There's not a handful of Christians in the United States that believe that God can still do that. We keep looking for something new to do or some this or somebody to blame or something. And we just kind of sit around dismayed like these people wanting leeks and garlic. They're never satisfied with what they've been given. The word of God is not enough to make me want to rejoice in the Lord. We need something new. We need a change. Let's go back to Egypt. Make us a God. Do something. And, of course, the people were willing to do all that. Remember Abraham offering Isaac? Remember that one? How did Abraham feel? Would you do that? Depends on whether or not you walk with God the way Abraham did. Abraham, yes. Take this boy here whom you love, this child that's of the woman you love. Take this boy tomorrow and go to a place that I'll show you. And I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Abraham knew in his heart that God already promised he's going to make us a mighty nation out of this boy. Now he wants him to kill him. You know what Abraham did? He got his boy and he went. He took him where today the Dome of the Rock in Israel. That big gold dome is over that rock. It's called Moriah. And it says, and I believe it, that's where Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And he raised his knife. And he was about to come down with his knife and kill that boy. He knew. The Bible said in Hebrews, he knew God was able to raise him up. If, if I kill him, God's word still has to come to pass. Now, it still has to work. We're afraid to say that today now. 
I don't know of a handful that'll say that today. Oh no, God said he'll keep his word. And the other day I was walking around and I said, you have got to keep your word. Now I can't make him keep his word. All I can do is receive his word. I can't make it work. I can't make it any different. He's already said everything it needs to say. He has the power to make it work and nothing will ever change forever. This word is forever written in eternity. It'll never change. All I've got to approach God is this word. And I said, Lord, you said. <laughs> and today people want to describe their symptoms. Oh God. Well, you know, I was this and this was coming to this and this kind of thing poked out and this kind of started growling and I heard this and this. <gasps> One hour later after they're gone, guess what happens? What was that? <clears throat> what was the world was that? That's what they said to happen to them. And uh-oh, <clears throat> uh-oh. Uh -oh. Devil says, you got it. Yeah, they had a little blurry spell and this happened, that happened. You, next thing you know, you're home perfectly fine. <laughs> now, who do you suppose is behind it? Say the devil. That's right, the devil. That's who's behind it. But if you don't know that, I thought I was going to be all right. You're not all right because you feel all right. You're not all right because you look all right. You're all right because you believe you're all right. And that's what you got to do. When I was 14 years old, laying on my stomach in the 250 Level Street, Charlestown, Indiana, phone number was 185J. You had to tell the operator. Laying on the floor, and air in the paper, and big italicized the danger signs of cancer. And I read it. One of them was persistent coughing. Hmm. Next week, I went to Boy Scout camp to gig fish, fell in the creek all night long, started coughing. And I coughed all the way through high school, all the way through college until I had my half of my lung removed, my left lung. Half of it was gone. It's gone today. Sometimes I wish I had it back. I did it a couple weeks ago. Listen to me. I know this is true. If the devil can get you here and start thinking about, uh-oh, 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 you open the door. You've got to learn to fight because discouraged people don't fight. They faint. They draw back. They cave in. They give up. In closing, Philippians Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, church, terrified by your adversaries, nothing, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but unto you of salvation and that of God. For unto you in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, 
whoever you are tonight, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Are you willing? Is it possible then that as we live in this life, one of the things we're going to have to deal with is suffering? You suffer because of your choices. You make the right choices. In the world that lies in darkness, you're going to incur the wrath of the devil who could be no bigger against you than God allows him to be. You can overcome. But this is what he says. Don't be terrified by your enemy. The enemy's the devil. All that junk he says in your mind, quit having all these conversations about wonder why, I don't know what. Quit talking about it. You just open the door to that stuff. If you want to talk, talk about the word of God. If it be true, if it be lovely, if it be of a good report, didn't he say in this same book, think on these things, chapter four, think on these things? Why? Because that keeps your mind with Christ. I'm aware of what's going on in the world. I just also know that my deliverance from the world is by what I believe. By what I believe. We didn't get to side two. But I do want to finish this next week. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to give you thanks for your watchfulness over your word. I want to thank you that even a little bit of faith, you will honor it. And you will deliver us from evil and from plagues and from pestilences that our life is in your hands and you will take care of us. There needs to be, Lord, amongst these people before whom I stand, there needs to be a stirring, a quickening by your spirit. We want to please you, Lord. Our faith, when it's active, always rejoices. Give us that, Lord. Restore us. Deliver us from defeat and discouragement and dismay. And help us to be the kind of testimony that causes others to ask us a reason of the hope that is within us. I just ask you to deal with all of us, every one of us, in Jesus' name.